Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Welcome back to Kingdom Cast Podcasts for the week of October 7th, 2020. I had to pause there and check because <laughs> all the days are running together now. <laughs> With us once again is Sandra Aquamarine Swindle. I'm Stan Daniel. With me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. What did you think of the movie Cars from Pixar? Didn't care for it. But you're going to be all about Batwheels animated series. No, because I'm not three years old. They've got the Batmobile and in and, and the windshield. The windshield's lit up like two white eyes. But I keep looking at this design for it. And all I can see is Crow T Robot from MST 3000. <laughs> Are you serious? They're going to do a, a series, an animated series? Yes. Yeah, for little kids. Like, but they said it's like little kids. From Wonder Brothers Animation, Batwheels, a brand new animated action adventure comedy series aimed at preschoolers and people in Walker County. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so wrong. You think they're going to use one of the Joker mobiles in there? Oh, you know they are. And they're going to have to remodify that Superpowers Superman kryptonite handler remember it had actual hands robotic hands yeah, that came no, he lost it. his he lost his powers so he had yeah. to <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't keep up with that story arc <laughs> how do i replace my powers i need a plane and fist to punch stuff so i'm sure that's going to make its way in there batwheels turns its focus to the many vehicles that aid the bat family and their fight against crime the Batwheels are a team of sentient, super-powered crime-fighting vehicles that help Batman, Robin, and Batgirl, as well as a host of additional DC superheroes. This reminds me of the time that they did the pets. Crypto had his own TV series yeah. with Streaky the Super Cat and what's Batman's dog's name? Ace. Ace. Yeah, Ace the Bat-Hound. Oh, God, Batmobile's name is Bam, led by Bam the Batmobile. The Batwheels also consist of BB, the Batgirl Cycle, Red, the Redbird, Jet, the Batwing, and Buff, the Bat Truck. There's a Bat Truck. I, I guess. Dee, dee, dee. <laughs> <laughs> the fledgling team must navigate the growing pains of being a newly formed super team, as well as the growing pains that come with just being a kid. The Matmobile looks like Crow T Robot, dude. Where, where will Albert be subscribing to watch this? No. <laughs> HBO I already got HBO. Yeah. Oh, there you go. HBO Max. <laughs> I just want to take this opportunity to say what a bang-up job Pamela Lifford and AT&T are doing. <laughs> this, this is clearly the way to go. <laughs> Disney idea can we rip off and put Batman on top of? <laughs> I mean, cars wasn't original. 
no, here, no, wait a minute. I'm going to back up and sit over here. Go ahead and defend bat wheels. I'm not defending it. I'm I'm just making a point. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Elmer. That's pretty good. I, I honestly thought we were just going to move on, but, but here he comes. The cars wasn't original. It's based on Doc Hollywood. I mean, there was cars with eyeballs in it before cars. <laughs> Lightning McQueen was clearly Michael J. Fox. <laughs> and they somehow got like five more movies out of it. And, and 17 Mater specials. <laughs> yeah, there is a barrage of Mater specials. <laughs> Although, Larry the Cable Guy, that was casting genius for Mater. <laughs> you remember Lightning McQueen's girlfriend car had the pinstriping on her trunk? Stamp. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like the tramp stamp for cars. <laughs> in other news, you heard about Jamie Foxx's coming back to be Electro in the Spider-Man movie. Yep. Except he says it's not the blue Electro. And they're in talks with Keanu Reeves for Craven. Oh, did they finally come up with something for him? I would have liked to have thought that we could have done better with Keanu than Craven. I just don't see him as a Craven. Is that rumor or is that actually straight it, from Feige's mouth? That's not straight from Baggy's mouth. That's more rumor, but he is dealing with the Sony end of it. We've got J. Jonah Jameson from the Tobey Maguire series. We're getting Jamie Foxx's Electro from the Andrew Garfield series. Is the next Spider-Man movie, is that going to be an amalgamation of the realities? It could be. Probably depends on whatever happens in Doctor Strange 2. Yeah. Oh, there are a lot of rumors flying around that. There's rumors left and right on Doctor Strange, too. Oh, oh, well, actually, we've got something a little more substantial than a rumor here. Evan Peters. It is Evan Peters, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that yeah. the creepy Quicksilver? <laughs> yes, creepy Quicksilver. He is in WandaVision, but he's not Quicksilver. The rumor, and it's a little more than rumor. I keep saying rumor. They haven't given a name to his character. The character has n- a name has not been officially released, but he is actually manipulating Wanda, and it looks like he's probably Mephisto. Creepy Quicksilver is going to play Mephisto? Yeah. Huh. Okay. See, that that sounds more like something he could do than Quicksilver. He did great as Quicksilver. I have to agree, disagree. I'd much rather see Keanu as Silver Surfer. I think that would be a perfect role for him. Yeah. No, um, no. Well, he doesn't have to say much of Silver well, Surfer. You need to have a little bit more of a chiseled head on you to be Silver Surfer. More of a chiseled head? Yeah. Well, how much more do you need chiseling? Because he well, he's got, got, some, dro- he's got some droopy head. Oh he's fine. He's no, he's very he's zen-like. No, he's the leader. The leader. No, he's not the leader. If they're bringing in people from different movie realities in, then they need to bring in Tim Blake Nelson to play the leader if they're going to do that. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, Keanu's, Keanu's playing Conan. Oh, my gosh. No. no. Keanu's too old for Conan. They'll say Buckram. They'll want somebody younger for Conan. No, no. We still need to get King Conan with Arnold. Oh. 
Well, hey, look, there's nothing saying that in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness that you're not going to get it. But also, uh, we're hearing that Wanda is not a bad guy in this. Why would she be a bad guy? Well, a lot of people were speculating that she's, you know, the butter's slipping off her cracker. Yes and no, but she's not going to be a catalyst for it. Doctor Strange is not going to have to fight her, but he is involved. Well, I hope so, since it's his movie, isn't it? Oh, you're talking about in WandaVision. Okay, yeah. WandaVision, yeah. yeah I heard Captain Ultra's in WandaVision. <laughs> I heard NFL Pro was, too. <laughs> His name was not NFL Pro. His name was Super Pro. Super Pro, yeah, I'm sorry. I heard Super Pro was, too. <laughs> no, he's he's got brain damage. <laughs> And I wonder why Marvel Comics won't accept your fanfic as canon. <laughs> I keep mailing it to them. Okay, let's talk about some DC Comics this week. Are y'all down for that? <laughs> I'm not either. We <laughs> already did them. I'm not either, but we're going to have to do it because we've got too little time on the podcast. <laughs> And if we just do the Marvel comics, we're going to get email. <laughs> Not the good type of email either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Albert's still dealing with bat wheels. I know. I was thinking the same thing. It's going to be a podcast all about bat wheels. Y'all leave me alone about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a little bit of news coming out of Orlando. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, we do. Albert, let me ask you this, because I've gone back over our notes and everything, and I, I haven't seen anything official in the preceding weeks. We all know that several of the floppy comics from DC Comics have been canceled, many of them ending this week. Last week, Shazam ended and a couple of the others. Have we heard anything about the last issue of Flash? No, not yet, but I assume it's getting relaunched. The new team, the new creative team is taking over Flash next week. Yeah. After Williamson wrapped up his run and so Okay, the news we're getting starts with Flash. And the news is basically this. Flash is coming to an end sooner rather than later, so far as his floppy comic run. He'll be transferred over completely to digital. They'll continue the story runs, but it'll be completely digital Flash. That's expected to take place sometime in the first half of 2021. Hmm. The other news is this. After they transfer Flash, they plan on transferring and making a big brouhaha over this. They'll be making several transfers, but the ones that this individual particularly mentioned was get ready for the last physical standard floppy comic in continuity issue of Batman by 2022. Uh Uh-huh. Of course, he'll be transferred to digital as well, but they plan on making a big brouhaha over that last issue. Huh. Now, don't know when in 2021 or 2022. I know where it's supposed to be. Flash is supposed to be in the first half of 2021. So what we're looking for here is when they say that Flash's comic book is going to end or be canceled or going strictly over to digital, then we'll know the Batman stuff is for sure. But where the information came from is fairly unexpected. But it's also somebody that, look, he, he, yeah, he, in talking about this, he didn't think it was a big deal. It is to comic book fans. He's not necessarily a comic book fan. I'd like to say I'm I'm stunned, 
I would like to say I'm surprised, but I guess I'm not because we've been saying this all along. But I'm well, just we, I'm still us, just stunned. Us saying it is speculation. If this actually goes down, if Flash is actually announced to end like this individual said, then you can pretty much put money on the Batman situation as well. The reason he was mentioning it is because, oh, get ready, because sometime in the next two years, the last issue of Batman's going to come out and you're going to want to pick up on that because that'll be a collector's item. The individual is uh, with the company that would be in the know on this. And also, again... This is not a comic book fan. This is not a person. This is a person who works for a company that just happened to have some information due to the level at which he's employed within the company. And he did. He tossed this out like it was no big deal and practically common knowledge. It is common knowledge to the effect that that it's it's pretty clear what what DC has been doing, if anybody's paying attention. But still, you know what? This is. This is 2022. I predict that the Flash move is going to bomb badly, just like when Marvel tried it with a bunch of uh, half-finished miniseries, because the digital market is just not there. Two different situations on that. Marvel did it in order to try to recoup costs on what they viewed as lost income. And when they saw that they couldn't recoup costs through releasing digital-only copies of poor-selling shelf stock comic books, then, man, they just printed to the mandate and sent those books out to get whatever money they could off of them. Yeah. We've talked in the past about Marvel's printing habits. Marvel was more or less under a form of duress when they made that decision due to COVID and the shutdown. This is not a form of duress. This is a plan. This goes perfectly in line with what we've speculated Pamela Lifford wanted out of DC Comics from the get-go. Right. And it's also one thing for us to speculate and say, as we tossed out these warnings left and right, like, yeah, okay, this is where they're going. We can see it. The writing's on the wall. We can see it. Even though I was a big proponent of saying that over and over again, it's still a slap in the face. When I heard it, it was a come to a screeching halt sort of situation for me. Like I was thinking, oh, God. And so immediately after getting the information, I, I started with the barrage of questions. Some were answered. Some weren't. The individual that delivered the information, again, has absolutely no reason to lie about it, was not even aware of who he was talking to necessarily or uh, anything along those lines. So what's your take on this, Albert? Well, you said the last in-continuity issue? It'll be the, they'll continue a form of, I don't know, he doesn't know that. This is an individual where you'd have to sit down and explain continuity what is considered mainstream Batman continuity and what's not. You'd have to explain the difference to him between Batman number 100, which came out this week, and The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing. But basically, the what he's saying is that the floppy copies of Flash will be stopped sometime in the first half of 2021, and that Batman will follow by 2022. Well, and whole- that they... They are already, in the way he was talking, they are already planning for the last issue of Batman. Yeah, but there's a whole range of characters between Flash and Batman. Yeah, there's yes. like, oh, every they, other character. That's exactly, they, that's exactly right. And I did ask him, and it turns out his only interests were in Flash and Batman. <laughs> <laughs> 
The only thing he made notes on when he heard them was Flash and Batman. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, again, like I said, this is an individual that's not necessarily a comic book fan. He's just in a position to know things with the company. What we're looking for here is if they cancel Flash, we know that the other's coming. We've already heard Jim Lee say that digital is the place to go for comic books, is the future of comic books, or something to that effect. I guess it's, they would see how Flash would do before they completely buy into all of it, I guess. Well, Flash would be the tipping point, I, I'd imagine. I'm sure somebody else that was probably has the same information could do, go down the line and say, this issue, this issue, this title, this title, this title. However, the only things that stuck out to him were Flash and Batman. Those were the things that stuck with him. Okay, I think 2022 is just too far out to predict. It's not to predict, but it's too far out to say, yeah, that's going to happen. Especially since I think when they start getting the receipts back on Flash, it's not going to look good. Here's the other end of that. It's not like it's going to start with Flash. It's already started. Mm. The next time you see Shazam will be in digital format. The next time you see Batman and the Outsiders will be in digital format. The next time you see Hawkman under his own story title will be in digital format. It's already begun. It's just that I didn't realize how fast they were moving. We're already being phased into that situation. I think that's their game plan, but I just can't see... I don't think the digital cells matter to them. I think they will continue the digital cells and the digital will do what I think it, they look at it like this. Digital will bring whatever digital will bring, and it'll be roughly the same as DC's floppy line. Are they going to put, charge for individual issues or going to be part of their service? Now that I don't know. I just assume they will. And I mean, if it's part of their service, they're shutting down DC Universe Online to incorporate all of that into HBO Max. But they, they've not said anything, nor do I think they're going to move the comic book library that was available digitally. I thought they already said they're having a separate thing for comic books. Okay, well, in that case, it may fall under that. I mean, I we haven't yeah. seen any structural, I, I haven't seen any real structural notices or anything. Yeah, I thought they were doing the same thing that the Marvel Unlimited is. Yeah, I thought it was like pretty much that, just for DC. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to charge for new issues, though. It seems like they would. It seems like if they issued a new issue through digital something or other, that they would charge for it. Well, I don't know how they can not charge for it. They're just driving a nail right into the comic book stores. That That's irrelevant at this point, well, so far as DC is concerned. Well, the but, nail's but already been driven. Yeah, but I'm, well, no, it's really going to be driven now because they're going to even lose the reduced amount of profit they've been getting off of Batman and those books. Since they're obviously driving a nail into the comic book stores, and the comic book stores are the ones who have been mainly protesting the digital initiatives, do you think that they're going to actually lower the price on these digital comics? I don't think they're going to charge for them. That's what I'm saying. You, you mean other than like a subscription fee? Yeah, that's I don't either think monthly gonna, or annually. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think they can get by with charging the individual prices for this stuff. They'd have to put something together to offer it all in one bundle. You get a year's worth, like a subscription service or something. Well, how is that going to work out for the creators then? Because they are they are making royalties. Okay, I mean, like, 
working me, on Batman, working on Batman, ref- you are going to get some royalties. Let me refer to you to uh, the to the last episode of this podcast and a couple of episodes before it, where I made the note that they're not paying Tinian the Fourth, James Tinian the Fourth, as much as they were paying the CIA spook for writing Batman, but they need to up their ante with him, and that they were also cutting pay across the board to the creators and trying to diminish the creator role and the actual aspect of the storytelling so far as comic books are concerned. They're going to have to do more than that. They're going to have to rework some serious contracts because... Warner Brothers, yeah, not only that, but let me share this with you about Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, while they will buy scripts from writers, Warner Brothers actually prefers to have staff writers and then pick up something like out of a newspaper and then write a movie based on it. Yeah, all the big studios do that. Well, not all of them. They all have in-house writers. Well, all the big, yeah, older studios. Maybe not the new stuff, the newer studios, but the older studios, they all got teams of writers on hand. If I'm pitching this, if I'm Pamela Lifford, or if I'm the new editor-in-chief of DC Comics, who's just coming straight in from eSports and have to make a pitch for digitization across the board, then the first things I say, in-house writers to reduce the cost of talent, in-house artists to reduce the cost of talents. We find a way to standardize the characters with computer iconography so we can make them move any way we want and put them in the comic book or the digital comic book panels, and the art will be consistent across the board on them. We have the in-house writers do the story. We save on actual physical publication costs. In other words, all we're paying for is digitized products that cost very little to actually get out to the public. Yeah, you know, people say that, but again, there are hosting costs. Hosting costs. Mm -hmm. If they're going to try to sell them on Comixology, because that's the other thing, are they just going to pull everything off Comixology and sell and and bundle it up in their own little DC Unlimited thing? Because if if you're selling it on Comixology, they're taking the cut, which is just as big as. I don't think Comixology figures into this much at all. Yeah, I don't think they're part of that. Part of this. I don't think Comixology is going to figure into or any of the services other than something that's offered directly from AT&T Warner Brothers is going to figure into this much at all. As for the cost of hosting, AT&T. I I mean, that's what they do. That's it. Yeah, but so in other words, they are pulling them out of the comic shops, pulling them off of Comixology and reducing the audience down to just people that are bundling on on AT&T. Well, if 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 the difference is it's just in continuity stuff, we I mean, my God, we can do out of continuity Batman stuff from here to the end of time. Yeah. Most of the best Batman stuff is not actually in continuity. Yeah. And they will do and I'd imagine they'd do different formats. I don't see why Marvel and DC don't actively push for kid books compared to what amounts to now, which is not quite nothing because they do put some out. Why they don't actually try to push that more than about anything else, I don't know. Because that's Dude. where the real money is on physical books. DC y'all, uh, DC's y'all list is growing exponentially by the week. The young well, adult. Well, it ain't just that. It's stuff like, you know, they did that Superhero Girls thing that did well for them. Yeah. Uh, that Superman versus the Klan. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of Yeah, but I didn't press consider that a kid's book. 
That's a kid's book. I don't see how it couldn't be a kid's book. Well, it was drawn kind of Bruce Tim esque, but still. Yeah, I, I, I consider that a kid's comic. Okay. Here's a Batman Catwoman comic. How much are you going to get out of that in the long run? Sandra, let me clarify something, too. I did not say comicsology was out of it. I said comicsology is probably not a major consideration in this. Well, I don't see. Meaning that comicsology could still have their deal with them, but it not really matter. Whatever they bring in from comicsology is icing on the cake. Or if they deem it just too expensive, then okay, goodbye. Well, we don't know what's happened to it. The way comicsology would, would probably work, if you want a, a digital comic of a physical, if, if a physical comic hit and you want the digital that day, you buy it through comicsology. If you want to wait, you just wait six months and get it on the service. Well, kind of like this Mulan situation with the buy it now for $30 or wait three months and you get it with the Disney Plus service. I can see them going that route as well. Anyway, that's the little tidbit that we just accidentally got handed to us from Orlando earlier in the day today. And I thought I'd throw it out there. So what we're looking for, those of you playing your home version of Kingdom Cast's speculation podcast, is you're looking for any announcement of the cancellation of the floppy physical flash book between now and, say, March, April of 2021. If we see that go down, we know the rest's going down. Actually, what we're really looking for is more announcements about more titles being canceled without on-the-shelf replacement titles following them up. Because it seems to me if we put the information in respect to what we've already know has happened, then we're already in the middle of them canceling physical comics. It's just, where are we in regards to that? Batman being the grand finale to all this. Maybe I'm just being an optimist, but I just think something is going to happen between Flash and Batman. And I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping it's not going to be the demise of the comic book stores. Well, we'll know for certain. Well, not really for certain, but we'll get a better idea about their plan for this when we get closer to the end of metal. That's true. Metal's the big event. So most of the line's going to sort of reset itself post metal based on how things are announced and what, and what format they're announced in. It'll give us a better idea then. I, I think you're right about that. And again, Sandra, Two things. There will be more comic book store closures. Okay, that's virtually inevitable with everything that's going on. I mean, aside from the normal routine pre-COVID that, yeah, there'll be a higher amount of comic book stores continuing to close. But there will be comic book stores that survive this and survive it handily. There are several comic book stores, independent comic book stores that are beginning to learn how to deal without DC product. Because a lot of them have already just cut orders to pull list numbers on several of the comics, only shelf stocking Batman. And there are some stores that only just do pull lists on Batman, pull list numbers on Batman as well, due to them running it through those two mega online stores, BSDC or DCBS, and (laughs) either one will work. And uh, Midtown Comics, who were posing his distributorships. We've learned that relatively quickly. Couple this with the news that also came out today, the hard news that came out today, that Diamond Comics UK is still going to continue to distribute DC Comics well into 2021. Mm -hmm. 
Well, why would that be? That would be because Midtown and DCBS have no pull, have no way to distribute comic books in Europe. Also because this is not a major concern to them anymore if this is the route they're taking. So why wouldn't they let Diamond UK distribute comic books? Yeah, I will say that DCBS, this move into distribution has really affected their original businesses in stock trades. Well, I I don't know about their subscription service, which is DCBS, but in stock trades is where they sell like trades. And man, the complaints about that and the slowdown there and trying to get hold of people and this, that, and the other. They used to be really, really quick and fast, dependable and easy to get hold of, but not anymore. They're too busy messing around with whatever they're doing for D.C. It just all lines up. And I don't think they give a damn what Flash's numbers do by the time they get to Flash on digital. I don't think anything short of AT&T selling off Warner Brother properties is going to change anything going on right now. This is the path. This is where they're going. Here's where you cut costs. Their highest cost is their talent. To me, it also seems like it isn't, it's entirely possible that they just get rid of the DC Comics section anyway, because they're obviously not trying to make any money off of it. That may be the format of what's coming. We're just going to have to wait and see. But again, it's not that Flash necessarily signals it. It's just that when they announce Flash, we know that this information holds a lot of water. We're in the middle of it right now. Mm-hmm. Batman the Outsiders was canceled. Young Justice has been canceled Well, with the next issue. Shazam has been canceled. Hawkman has been canceled. Is there any word on Green Lantern after Grant Morrison finishes with issue number 12 of season nope. two? What about well, Aquaman? Aquaman has been debated, but right now Aquaman looks like he will go past his cancellation date tenuously. Well, who is, who is on that book? Because, you know, DeConnick's leaving. Issue number 100 of Batman, Tinian was supposed to leave. You yeah, shared that with us. Yeah. Yeah, but I think DeConnick's leaving. She's She's got... No, I'm sure. No, I'm not saying this means DeConnick is staying. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that we don't know. This would be part and parcel of it. Why would they announce talent to us if they're trying to downplay talent? Does that mean Marvel is going to have Bendis back? Uh, no, please. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it means for Marvel at this point, but right now the comic book, the comic book shops that are going to come out of this ordeal okay and in a better position than when AT and T first announced that DC will no longer be distributed through Diamond. The comic books that are set to come out of this okay are the ones that have already accepted the fact that DC Comics is no longer going to factor into their bottom line, and they've moved on. And they've started adapting to that. It's not just the comic book stores. They're alienating fans with this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the news that we just got handed to us. I'm talking about there are people pissed off that Supergirl, Batgirl, Batman, The Outsiders, Hawkman, all of these books, Shazam, are coming to an end. And that there's nothing coming up to replace them. Some of the fans feel like they're being picked on in this. I can understand that. When when I got this news... It was kind of like somebody punched me in the gut. Don't all comic book fans consider themselves victims of some sort? Yeah, there's an Olympic version of like, wait a minute now, if you want to talk about fandom being picked on. (laughs) Why does Stephanie Brown not have an ongoing with Alex Ross on art? Jesus Christ. (laughs) I heard that crap for years. (laughs) 
There's dozens of us. <laughs> That's right. Look, you don't steal are, my are lines. Just, Albert, are you just trying to piss off Allison Marceau? <laughs> you know, swap that with Gambit. It's the same thing. Uh, Remember the young woman that had the website that was dedicated to Wolverine and Gambit's butts? Maybe. I don't know. I need that address. We had a subscriber and she ran a website for a while, for many years, that was dedicated to Gambit and Wolverine's butts. (laughs) I feel so bad about my name. I started to say, Sandra, would you like to hand out your Submariner ass website? (laughs) It's not his ass. It's his ankles. It's his ankles. Ankles. She's got, a, she's got a winged foot fetish. <laughs> I'm just stunned and somewhat speechless. I mean, like I said, intellectually, I knew that this was probably happening. I mean, I've been arguing uh, with various people that <laughs> that it was going to be happening. It's quite another thing to say, to to hear confirmation that it's it, it is happening. <laughs> Well, right now, so far as Marvel's concerned, it looks like Marvel stopped running the printing presses when you pry them from their cold, dead hands, Yeah, well, which I is think, not likely to occur anytime soon. I, I think it's going to be interesting for Marvel because where's the talent going to go? Create image stuff. Image. Or boom or dynamite. Or yeah, IDW. don't you? Well, I mean, does ain't going to be around, so... Well, is it not people, amazing how Boom and Dynamite and Image and even Dark Horse is stepping up to some degree? It's like me saying Scott Snyder sucks when it comes to writing DC comic superhero stuff. But he's almost bloody brilliant when he's writing his original stuff. And I think that's the renaissance we're looking for and that comic book shops need and deserve. Yeah. I'm with that full, wholeheartedly. We're getting great stuff from Marvel with their superhero line, but we're getting great stuff like Alienated. Once in Future, Wind, we only find them when they're dead, and several other books coming out from these comic book studios that they had blinked out five years ago. It wouldn't have shocked or amazed anybody if any of these other comic book publishers had gone out of business. When you're doing that image stuff, yeah, it's all well and fine to say, well, they're going to just make their own. Well, what are they going to do for six months while they're drawing that stuff? You know, the writer can maybe get away with it because he can write multiple books. He can write for... Marvel or DC and do his own creator own stuff. But the artist, the artist has to be paid. I don't think a lot of these artists have like six months of savings where they can just go but off and do that. Okay. Now, now, now knowing a bunch of artists and all, let me tell you what they do and how they make their income otherwise. Right now, due to COVID, there's a limited amount of shows and cons they can go to, but they also do online work and they take private requests for things and they have their own Patreons and such set up. And many of them hold normal jobs outside of this as they get more and more successful. So it would not be that big of an ask for a dedicated artist, a solid artist, to put together a book with a written agreement of payment for their work to put out. And a lot of times the artists are paid before anybody else is. Well, that may be, but they aren't paid till the book is finished. And when you're doing a creator-owned book... Not, not it, necessarily. Not necessarily the artist. Yeah, not necessarily the artist. It, it depends on how the book's set up. A lot of the times the writers will 
because most of the time the story and everything comes from the writer. They'll get the artist on there and do a page rate or something. I could walk up to Andy Gray, Jeffrey Gwynn, Nick Ash, or Ali Marceau and say to them, I've got this great idea for a comic book that we're going to sell to Image, but you need to do the first 27 pages for free, but you'll get half of the profits as uh, soon as Image picks it up. They won't be able to hear my pitch over the sound of their own laughter. as to how they'll get paid after Image picks up this comic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of artists have already been raked across the coals, and they know to get money up front. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's not as easy as a lot of people say, well, they should just start going to OGNs or just go direct to trade. Yeah, there are other but ways. who is going to be paying these people? A lot of these independent books or some of the smaller ones, what it is, is the single issue sales is enough to keep them going. Then the money money is trade paperbacks. Because yeah, trade paperbacks way, will, just, will just keep on selling. My understanding is the way Image works is that they want the complete trade mm-hmm. up front before. Yes. Image is not like Marvel or DC. Image is not... Like, they want uh, the first well, six issue story yeah, arc. They really are more of a publisher than Marvel or DC. You're the comic packager. You deliver us a package. We will publish it. And because they had so much trouble in the past with people, creators never finishing, only putting out an issue or two, two years between issues and all that nonsense. My understanding is they're only taking stuff that is by more well-known people that can bring in an audience. So literally, the creators are going to have to figure out. Now, of course, the one thing that people have done is Kickstarter, which is up or down. But um, but in addition to Kickstarter, they have Patreon. They have that digital art studio online. I forget what it's called. And they solicit for things. There's tons of websites on Reddit and such where artists will take commission artwork. Yeah, but you can't take commission artwork while you're trying to do a book because it takes a whole month to do anybody anybody can doodle Batman over the course of five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, but who's paying for Batman over five minutes? Anybody, anybody. That's all people want anyway. Just two of the artists, Andy Gray and Geoffrey Gwynn. Right off the top of my head, they'd be able to work on a concurrent six-issue book and take in a few high-end commissions as well that wouldn't strain them too badly over the time of doing that. They can do it. There are ways to do that. And there's always hold down your regular job as you do this. Hold down a regular job as you do this. It's not like DC's throwing a lot of work out there for great artists to begin with at this point. Well, you know, they want the think, name I, artists too. I think they, they're going to I think Marvel's going to get an influx, so it should be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. If DC takes this path. And well, it's going to be a casual thing because, again, I keep emphasizing this. The news we're getting, it just confirms, if true, just confirms, and I have no reason to doubt it, just confirms the direction we're moving in. We're already moving in that direction. Sure, sure. The news we got is stuff we already know. It's just he gave us road markers to look for. Mm-hmm. If Flash goes digital, then it's going to follow by 2022, sometime at the end of 2021, beginning of 2022, 
the last issue of Batman. The last physical issue of Batman is going to come out. Now, when I say that, understand that what I mean is the last physical issue of this Batman run, which just hit issue number 100, is what we're talking about being published. That does not mean never again will Batman ever be in physical print. That's ridiculous to say. But he's not going to have the floppy like he does now. None of them will. And so this is just where we are at the moment. All the all this information does is give us road markers to look for. So we know that, yeah, this is where we're headed. All right, let's start off with Legend of the Swamp Thing, Halloween Spectacular, number one, 48-page giant. Various writers and artists. The story that stood out to me most, Albert, was James Tinian for T4, Age of Discovery. And I didn't care much for the art in it. Yeah, this book was okay, but nothing... Nothing special. I'm hoping for better from the DC Doomed and Damned coming out next week. That looks like a little more punch to it. This one was, of course, Swamp Thing-centric, which is not a bad thing. I just wasn't feeling it with this overall. It's not something... I don't think it's worth the price. Nah, I'd probably skip it. It's always hard to rate the anthologies, uh, these standalone anthology comics. I gave the writing overall a two, although James Tinian's Age of Discovery was good. I give the writing a two. I give the art a two because the art, while not consistent and a bunch of different artists in it, none of them brought any real oomph to the table. And I give the dynamic a two. So I basically gave this one twos across the board. I think there's better things to save your money. Save your money for the DC Doomed and Damned. I gave the writing and art a two. And uh, dynamic a three at least was packaged good. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. We're both in agreement about save your money for Doomed and Damned next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Young Justice, number 19. I don't know. Maybe Bendis is taking his Adderall. This was a coherent book again. It was only one one character. Well, that was it. He focuses on this one character. He puts it in a format where he's telling the character's history, goes back and forth, sets up the story through the history, and delivers it. It it was a good Wonder Girl issue. I've always liked Cassie. I've always liked Cassie, his Wonder Girl, and hated that in all the New 52 shuffling that she got lost. So I thought this was a pretty decent issue. It's not, oh God, you've got to run out there and get it. It's coming to an end. They're ending this. They're ending Legion of Superheroes. Bendis is off both. I thought it was a pretty good issue. I gave it threes across the board. Well, Actually, I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a four, the pretty decent art in it, and the dynamic a three. I guess I gave it straight threes. It's okay. Yeah, that's really it. It's okay. And right now, getting okay from Bendis, uh, that's better than what we've been getting from Bendis. This is one of his, I guess, better efforts compared to most of his other work currently. The Dreaming, Waking Hours, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Nick Robles. It continues the dreaming story. I still think it's solid. If you like Sandman in general, if you like Neil Gaiman's Sandman, and especially if you like the stuff G. Willow Wilson followed up after his Sandman run, then you're going to enjoy this. This is a very straightforward, albeit light, Sandman book. Neil Gaiman's Sandman could be rather preachy and heavy at times. This is a little more light, a little more enjoyable. It seems not to insist upon itself is what I'm saying here. So it's a fun, enjoyable book, especially for those of us that really do like No Game and Sandman books. Writing, I gave a four. Art, I gave a four. Dynamic, I gave a three. So my score for it was 3.7. 
Albert, you're not big on Sandman, though. I, I like it, but I can't stand this comic. So you don't like this comic? Why no. you, tell us in particular why you don't like it. I hate the main character. This is boring. Uh, she's dealing with Shakespeare. This does tie into the debate over who actually wrote the uh, Shakespearean plays and sonnets and such. You're not wrong. It is, for the most part, boring in comparison to all the other comics that are coming out. But if you're used to the Sandman type fare, this is probably going to be right up your alley. I got the writing and dynamic of two and the art of four. I just, I don't know. This book seems horribly dated. It does feel like it's just occurring right after Sandman in the 80s and the 90s. The art is really yeah, very good art, though. From DC's Black Label, we have American Vampire 1976. Scott Snyder returns to his series with Raphael Albuquerque doing the art. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Scott should stay in his lane with books like this. Scott Snyder should. He rules this. This is not a new reader-friendly book, though. No. No, you should be somewhat familiar with American Vampire, yeah. which came before it. Yeah. There are going to be a bunch of characters show up, and they're like, I don't know any of these people. Why, yes. why should I care? Some of the revelations will be lost on you if you're not familiar with American Vampire. If you were following American Vampire and enjoyed it, you're going to love this. It's a great start to this wrap-up of this character, as I understand it. And it's a black label, so it is a little more pricey, but I, I think it's worth it. And again, you know, you're going to hear me knock... Scott Snyder next week with the death metal stuff, but man, his own creator owns stuff. He just, he does an outstanding job in. He's a good writer. He's just not a good writer for superhero comics. Agreed. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a three and I gave the dynamic. It's a vampire book. I gave the dynamic a three. So my score for the book was 3.2. Yeah, we're close. I gave the writing a four. I gave it a 3.2. I gave the writing a 4, and I gave the art and dynamic a 3. I gave the writing and dynamic a 4 and the art a 3. Okay, so you gave it a 3.7. Yeah. It's a must-have for American Vampire fans. It's been a while since we've had American Vampire on the shelves, so don't feel like, oh, I can probably skip this. You're going to want it. You're going to want it. You're going to want to read it, so pick it up. Now, on to things I don't like about Scott Snyder. Justice League number 54, written by Joshua Williamson, right off of, he just came off of The Flash, art by Zermanico. Tell me what you think, man, because I, I just, it's more of the same to me. I guess they sell enough to justify it, but I don't see what the point of keeping this book going. Or why would you put this in Justice League? Why would you just not end Justice League and make because this its own thing? Snyder is not capable of reeling in. Snyder wants to be Morrison. And he can't. person that needed to be in charge of this project, like we talked last week, so far as death metal is concerned, is Tinian. Okay, we know things are really bad because Starfire has a mohawk. This is every bad thing about a comic book ever. And what's worse is it's bland. It's bland. It's unimpressive. If they still made action figures, it'd be an excuse to make an apocalyptic line of the Teen Titan action figures. Starfire has a mohawk. Nightwing is wearing fur on his shoulders for some reason and has a tie knot hairdo. I, I don't care. I don't care. And it's making it's lessening and it's cheapening the characters to me. So I just gave the whole thing a one. It fared slightly better with me. I gave it straight twos. Like it's not, I don't think it's terrible or awful, but it's just. It just seems a waste of everyone's time. Cyborg asked Detective Chimp, what happened to your team? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, because that's what we need. We need a moody, we need a dark Detective Chimp. Uh, that's exactly 
what comic book fans everywhere are demanding. You know what's wrong with Detective Chimp? He's not moody enough. Skip it. Save your money. Don't mess with this. Stop rewarding them for this. But I can tell you what you should reward them for. (laughs) Batman number 100. Albert, was it everything you had hoped it'd be? I think the last couple of issues I thought were better. Yeah. But this is a solid ending on everything. It wraps it up good. It's it's a good ending. It does its thing. I, I really enjoyed the overall thing. I really, really enjoyed he lands well with it. And the main story I thought was really, really good. When you get down to the epilogues in it, I like the final epilogue. The guy sitting at the bar talking to the other guy. What was a letdown to me was Batman confronting Clown Killer. I don't know how that would have went down, but I don't think it would have went down like that. Seems to me that the new villain character they introduced, that will be his Robin. I can see that too. I can see that. But, uh, but, so that may be his Robin. Barbara Gordon resuming a role as Oracle in this. Hell, she's a thousand times more proficient as Oracle than she is Batgirl. Yeah. And I mean, I love her being Batgirl, but what I'm saying is we've often had this conversation about how do you really affect change if you've got all of Bruce Wayne's money? You could just use that money to make things better over and over again. But when Barbara Gordon goes into the clock tower and reactivates the Oracle servers, and she takes her seat there and she starts operations. I mean, damn, as opposed to taking about one or two criminals off the street at night, Oracle is capable of taking out an army of them. It kind of makes you question here. I don't want Barbara Gordon not to be Batgirl, but at the same time... I think the thing is, she should be Oracle. And every once in a while, they could do a little Batgirl thing with her. I agree, too. She doesn't need a life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she can either be in the bat suit or sitting in the Oracle chair yeah, and making a real difference in Gotham. But yeah, yeah, it really was astounding. And damn, Harley Quinn. It almost makes you like her, doesn't it? Almost. Almost makes you like Harley Quinn. She was outstanding in this issue. And the ultimatum that she gives at the end, her actions at the end, yeah, this was fairly solid all the way around. Had great character moments in it, especially with Dick Grayson. It didn't detract from the main storyline there. You you really wonder, where is Batman going to go from here? I saw an article that said that Batman 100 was supposed to be Tinian's final issue. It was. For a good long while, that's what it right. was advertised. Yeah. Then, but right. then once Didio went out the door, it was like, nah, we're just going to keep on going. But he said the way it all happened, things being up in the air, because like originally he was, I guess, had a fill-in plot that like had an ending. The fluid nature of what was happening made him write Batman differently. He said that he's got maybe writing more seat of the pants kind of thing as opposed to in stone outlining. That's probably one reason why he might have left fans guessing is because it's been so fluid for him too. He's done a wonderful job. You can't tell what he planned and what's fluid in this. Like Albert said, it's a solid landing. It's not asking you to believe that anybody's dead. They're not cheapening it. No, they, they, yeah, they, yeah. Go, they go ahead and like, yeah, he's he's not dead. We know he's not dead. Why even act like he is? We all know he's not dead. But what we don't know is whether or not Harley Quinn will allow him to live because she she really played it out for him. And you can also see her come to Batman moment there at the end in the hospital as well as her and Batman have a conversation. Yeah. 
they came really close to making me really, really like Harley Quinn in this. This has been an extraordinary storyline. I can't wait to see where Tinian takes it next. I'm happy that he's continuing to be on the book. And DC Comics needs to put a couple of zeros at the end of his paycheck because he's worth three times what Tom let me run my CIA spook mouth in judgment of other people King is worth. I can just keep coming up with those nicknames for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just not going to let it go. Why are you staying? Not going to let it go. I went ahead and in spite of uh, not being completely thrilled with, uh, I did like the dialogue in the bit between Batman and Clown Killer. That was really good dialogue. It's just Batman almost comes off as wishy-washy in that epilogue. And I wasn't real comfortable with that. I was much more comfortable with the end sequence at the bar between the two characters in the bar and did like that because he's not going to insult your intelligence at all with this. I gave it fives. I went ahead and gave it fives. I'm going to score the whole arc of Joker War, so the whole arc gets straight fives for me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I mean. We're at the completion of it, so the whole arc does get straight fives from both of us. We highly recommend it. It's a return to greatness for Batman, and plus the you know the future's wide open. We don't know where Tinian's going to take him. Yeah. I'm just happy to hear that Tinian's still on the book. Agreed. Aftershock Comics put out a book. The first issue's been out, and we somehow missed it. I'm going to blame it on COVID, because why not? Lonely Receiver, number one and two, writer Zach Thompson, artist Jen Hickman. This is definitely different. God, this was horrible. Really? You think so? That was awful. Why do you think it was awful? It seemed like a piss poor knockoff of her. Oh my God. I've seen her and I thought this was infinitely better than her. This was garbage. You really think so? I I was wondering why you got us to read it. I read it. At first, I was thinking, okay, we're not even going to talk about this. But then, as I continued to read it, little things that Zach Thompson had put in here, he put a great deal of thought into this. It's a very Apple esque dystopia, and he managed to focus the emotional and mental ramifications of it through the characterization in the book, the woman we're following. In lesser hands, the book would be background noise and completely forgettable, which I thought her, the movie her was, and it would be something I'd never think about again. But I'm very curious as to where he's taking us with this, so I'll be back for it. I'm not raving about it. I It interested me. For some reason, it caught me the amount of thought that in detail that he put into what's going on in that society that he's created. The character interaction I thought was really good. I feel bad for the main character at the same time. She's not without flaws. She's very needy. I didn't feel bad for the main character at all. <laughs> It's also like a ripoff of Blade Runner 2049 on top of that. Now, I didn't get that at all. She went off and bought herself a, a girlfriend. That, that ha- and be, I mean, and she's such a horrible world. she's such a horrible human being, personality-wise, that her fake girlfriend she bought left her. Well, we don't exactly know that that's what happened yet. We're not exactly sure that's what happened yet. This is Blade way Runner. more of a knockoff of her. Well, if you're going straight to say down it. to the oh, you're oh, you're seeing other people. Yeah, and 300 feet. Yeah, I just something about the book caught my interest enough that I wanted to talk about and review it. But now I'm going to go back and reread it and see if maybe the gas from the oven was on while I was reading it, <laughs> or 
Well, it looks like I ruined this comic for Stan. (laughs) (laughs) Or something else, because I thought it was at least interesting. I gave it, I actually gave it threes across the board. I didn't want anybody to necessarily commit to it, but at the same time, I didn't think it was as bad as you're coming across. It certainly didn't remind me of Blade Runner. The concept of owning a partner, an AI, an artificial intelligence partner, is coming closer and closer to reality every day, so I can hardly blame him for using that concept. I mean, it's been a, a long time staple of science fiction. What was your score on it? <laughs> I gave the art a two. And I gave the writing a dynamic a one. Okay. Albert absolutely hates it. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting. I'm willing to see if I'd left the gas on in the oven or, or if something else was going on at the moment. So between this concept and the concept of sentient Batmobile. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Which which are you that more? That kid show's probably better. <laughs> There's at least got Batman stuff in it. Jeez. IDW Comics, Snake Eyes, Dead Game, number two. God. Rob Liefeld, <laughs> Rob Liefeld and Chad Bowers. Rob is claiming he's doing everything and that Chad Bowers is just there for moral support. I'm actually beginning to suspect that I'm kind of hoping that they're paying Chad Bowers well to translate this from Liefeld to coherency. You guys actually read, read this. Yeah. Did you? Not me. I read No. Yeah, we both did. How could you not? Yeah. Impossible poses and surreal angles. Marvel ripoff characters has the bad guys to appease the Liefeldian all-consuming ego. I mean, this book is a train wreck of 1990s proportions. How could you not pick this book up? (laughs) And bodily proportions. Yeah. Did you notice how Scarlet put all of her weight Scarlet the tip of her down. foot yeah put all of her weight on one foot and that other foot is just kind of like dangling in air inches off of the ground and then sometimes Scarlet has abs sometimes her suit is loose fitting <laughs> yeah. and then you got this juggernaut Hulk bad guy and at the beginning he fights Thor that takes about five minutes hey why did Snake Eye's uniform turn red uh, it showed him getting his uniform ripped off. The red was underneath it. Oh, Snake Eyes red. Snake Eyes was wearing a red Snake Eyes outfit underneath his black Snake Eyes outfit. Yeah. And I want to say there at one point there's a comic book that had him in a red costume, but I don't know if it's like an issue or some weird thing or a scene or something. So why would Snake Eyes be wearing two basic suits of armor? I don't know. <laughs> Poor Chad. <laughs> Do you suppose Chad Bowers goes to Rob and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's wearing two military outfits. <laughs> One red. The only difference is the color. Yeah, exactly. You got a problem with that? No, Rob. Whatever you say, Rob. <laughs> I gave it twos across the board, but I strongly suggest everybody buy it anyway, because you're going to be entertained in ways that they definitely do not intend. <laughs> I'm not going to justify this book with a score. (laughs) It's an insult to numbers to score this book. But you still think everybody needs to buy it, right? Yeah, go ahead. Numbers. (laughs) Yeah, if, if you think you're emotionally drained due to politics, COVID, every bit of hell that we've been through since January of this year, if you really do think you're emotionally drained from it all, I promise you're not. Just pick up Snake Eyes Dead Game number two. You'll find emotions you never knew you had.
damn, say what you will, but Rob Buttonfly Liefeld is nothing if not entertaining. <laughs> I wonder if we'll be his new best friend this week. <laughs> now, I'm not blocked from him on Kingdom Cast Twitter yet, so. Don't do it. Don't you get a thought from anybody. I play good, I promise. Mm-hmm. Also from IDW. Lock and Key and Pell Battalions Go, number two. Writer Joe Hill and artist Gabrielle Rodriguez. This was a pretty solid issue. I liked it well yeah. enough for what it was. If you like World War One, if you like Elements of Lovecraft, and you like the other Lock and Key books, then this is for you. Pretty much. I mean, if, yeah, if you like Lock and Key, just read it. Standard Joe Hill comic book horror fair based on his critically acclaimed series. I made the mistake of reading this after I had watched the last two episodes of Lovecraft Country on HBO Max beforehand. And this came off as relatively mundane in light of that. (laughs) 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 But uh, I still appreciate it for what it is. I gave the writing a three. I gave the art a three. I gave the, well, I gave it threes across the board. I argued on dynamic a bit, but it it was a, like Albert said, you like lock and key, pick it up. I gave the writing a four and art dynamic three. Dark Horse, Spy Island, number two, because Sandra had something to say about it last episode. Oh, wait a minute. Did I? (laughs) Yeah. You did this whole big spill about it has a 70s cover and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. But we're about to fix you. (laughs) You just stay right there. Did I read this one? Let me see. I read the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You you Go ahead and start making up your excuses now, because we're about to discuss this. Spy Island number two, written by Kane Meidernick and Ooh. art by Elise McCall. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who wrote it? Kane no, Meidernick. No, no, That's the wrong. Mm-hmm. This was written by the lady that wrote Mockingbird for Marvel, not Kane Meidernick. Well, I'm trying to think. It's not Rachel Kane. It's Chelsea Chelsea Kane. So it says creators are Chelsea Kane and Leah Mitternick or Mitternick or whatever her name is. And then the actual writer is Chelsea Kane. And then the artist is Elise McCall. Okay. There we go. So at least we're on the same book that you pitched to us while we were doing the pull list episode at the beginning of this week. Yeah. I'm not sure if this was a comic or someone trying to. Or someone auditioning to get the job of menu designer at Cheesecake Factory. No, what was going on with this comic? God! (laughs) The book thinks it's wittier and more clever than it actually is. I didn't really think it was worth your time, uh, effort, or even your indifference. It did. It. If comic books were written by Cheesecake Factory menu makers. This is what they'd be like. <laughs> well, if we were doing this as a video, you would see me sitting here with my mouth open like, what the? No, absolutely here's the, not. <laughs> here's Jeez. the contents of this woman's purse. If this was some sort of like cheap ass video game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't need to know what's in her purse. <laughs> this doesn't play into anything. It, it, it's. I mean, I'll give you this. There are mermaids in it. <laughs> yes, there are mermaids in it, but not your typical mermaids. Really? I, 
I, I don't know. I, the mermaids, these reminded me of the mermaids. They, from, they, these mermaids aren't original. Yeah. Stranger Tides had the same mermaids. I mean, they looked all pretty and everything until you got on them, and then they turned into man-eating monsters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Stranger Tides. Oh. Eh. The specially designed pages, if there was a design category that we judged by instead of art... <laughs> It'd get a four, but this is a comic book. This isn't an advertising class. Well, that's what the, that's what the dynamics scores for. Well, yeah, and that's true. And I took that into account for the dynamic. I gave the dynamic a three. I gave the writing and the art a two. The design of those special pages was really quite outstanding. I mean, they are worthy of menus at cheesecake factories. My overall score was two point three. Well, I gave the uh, art and dynamic a two, and the writing a one. The art and dynamic, a two, and the writing, a one. Okay, fair enough. So, yeah, Albert doesn't recommend it. It's uh, Albert gave it a 1.7. Sandra, can you justify your score of five for this book? <laughs> I did not give it a five, but I did not give not it anymore, a one you anywhere, <laughs> especially after you just spent, what, five or ten minutes talking about Rob Liefeld's snake eyes, which probably had a little map of all those damn pouches. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. This was a fun, fun in a visual way. It's not like a funny book. I cannot believe you two. I, okay. I will say about this book is it had some cool graphic elements, which you keep calling a cheesecake menu or a cheese factory menu or whatever cheesecake the hell. factory. Those menus. You've factory. seen a cheesecake factory menu. I, I have that. It's not like a standard menu. They work their advertisements into it really well. I mean, the design and layout on those things are impressive. A bit of overkill for a restaurant, but impressive nevertheless. <laughs> Look, I'm complimenting the design. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I think it was an interesting read. They didn't have the spy kind of thing going on like they had the first issue. They did have some of that 70s graphic design kind of thing, like what you would see on, like, I don't know, some book. The Sears catalog. <laughs> the Wish book. No, no, not at all. If you're going to spend some money, spend some money on this rather than Rob Liefeld's snake eyes. Good God almighty. Or don't this spend money on any of it. The economy's <laughs> horrible. Save your money. <laughs> That's right. We're starting well, a Patreon soon. That's right. <laughs> Albert has a point, but I just think it was interesting. I like the graphics. I like the layout. Okay, so I would say I would give the writing a three, the art, in which I include the graphics, a three, and the dynamics, a three. So I would at least say a three. Just to clarify where I am on Spy Island. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've made it clear where you're at. <laughs> you're if the My Little Pony Transformers book, you got to the middle of the comic and you turned the page and it was a pop-up of Optimus Prime and Flutterbutt or whatever that pony's name is, <laughs> I would think, well, Listen, if, if that book put in fake toy ads <laughs> yeah. of them being together, like that'd be great. Yeah. But I, this I, book ain't it. Yeah. If it had fake toy ads or if it had the pop-up in the middle of the book that I just described, then I'd think, wow, that is really cool. But I'll be damned if I'm going to recommend somebody spend actual money on it. <laughs> well, some of us would spend money on a train wreck of snake eyes, and some of us would spend money to have something interesting to look at slash read. I'm going to contact Cheesecake Factory Corporate and ask them if they've ever considered making their menu into a comic book. 
Have y'all ever heard of IDW? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. This is Dark Horse. Have y'all ever? <laughs> I'd like to apologize to IDW. Have y'all ever heard of Dark Horse? Okay, moving right along. <laughs> yes, let's move along. Obviously, we have different tastes when it comes to books. The future of out of work comic book artists. Yeah, really. <laughs> Restaurant menus. <laughs> Also from Dark Horse Comics, Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman and various artists, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one is mostly P. Craig Russell and Mignola. Okay, yeah. Because I saw it switching up. Yeah, it's mostly them two. Sandra, did you read it? I loved it. P. Craig Russell could be drawing. He could draw a dog. He could draw a Neil Gaiman comic, and I'd still like it. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. Oh, so funny. He could be drawing snake eyes, and I would buy it. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, he's one of my favorite artists. And I think he does some ink in here. He- the issue is technically chopped up into three sort of stories. The first one's did by Russell, B. Craig Russell. The second one's did by Magnola. And then the third one's did by Jerry Ordway. Yeah. Somebody said that they weren't really comic books. They straddle that line between, I think, comics and illustrated stories. Especially the first story. Second story is sort of an in-between thing. What was it called? The Marvel Universe book that me and Stan liked that was mostly just them explaining the Marvel timeline. Thank you. The Marvel Universe. Yeah. 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 The first one, the pre Russell, is sort of like that. It's just in the gaming, writing it off. You know, here's this. And then he's putting images to it. The second one's like a little bit of a middle ground of that. The third story in it with Thor and Loki is like it's just a straightforward story. Right. I'm going to want the hardcover of that simply oh, for yes. the, yeah, simply for the art, but the writing in it. Yes, it's Neil Gaiman, and no, it's no, it's not Neil Gaiman at the same time. I read the Norse mythology book, the original book by Myth Gaiman, by Neil Gaiman. The first issue of this comic fails to portray the humor in which the book was written. There's a humor and a rhythm to Neil Gaiman's actual novelization that is not being picked up on in this comic book, or at least not in the first issue, but... If you read the novel and you read this, it, this is a perfect companion piece to that novel. I highly recommend the original book, but I love the artwork in this. I will want this sitting on the bookshelf next to the original book. The last story in it seemed to have some humor in it because that was just sort of written straightforward. The other ones is just very by the book on it. As it goes, it may pick up more humor, but you go through the entirety of Norse mythology. He touches on all the major points and goes into detail on the important things, especially Ragnarok. When you get to Ragnarok, it's beyond interesting. So far as comics concerned, my score on it was the writing I gave a three and the art and dynamic I gave a five. So my score was 4.7. Well, I actually scored it a little higher than you. Uh, I gave the art and dynamic of five and the writing of four. Okay. The writing was a four and the art and dynamic were fives. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll change mine. I'll go with that too. Art and I, I said 4.7, but yeah, that's, I'll go with that. Writing four, art and dynamic five, but the novel itself, the actual Neil Gaiman novel itself, you'll be doing yourself a favor by reading it if you're remotely interested in Norse mythology. He does wonders with that. Cyberpunk number two, written by Cullen Bunn and art by Miguel Valderrama. This was your pick of the week, wasn't it, Albert? Yeah. 
Like, I just think it's a great comic. I really like the cyberpunk in general theme. So for things like Blade Runner and things like that. It's got a cool concept, how they're just sort of medics for hire, but they go in and they, they kill people for the person, get them out and do everything. It's almost set up sort of like that, that Last Judge Dread movie with Carl Urban. Fantastic art, great writing, great idea. Uh, I gave it straight force. I continued to be surprised. I was surprised with how much I enjoyed issue number one. I was surprised that issue number two it, it not only maintained, but elevated my interest in it. Little things that Cullen Bunn does with the characters that really do humanize them in what is a video game world. This is... Well, it's not a video game world. It's yeah. a tabletop RPG. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. Tabletop RPG. It's a comic book based on a concept that's origins are in gaming, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it was RPG from the from like the 80s. Yeah. And then the new game's a more modern take on it. And this book is sort of a, a runoff from, I guess, the video game. Colin Bunn has definitely drawn me into it. I do find it very interesting and enjoyable. I do like the characters in it. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a three and I gave the dynamic a three. So my score for it was 3.7. I did straight fours. Boom Studios. We only find them when they're dead. Number two, writer Al Ewing and art by Simone DeMio. It's an anime and comic book format, not a manga. It feels like an anime actually translated into a comic book. DeMio's work shows movement and action so easily that it's hard not to see the panels moving in your mind. At least that's how this struck me. I really like this book. I'll go easier on the coloring this time. I guess I'm just used to it from issue one, but it seems to just fit better. Or maybe it just sort of, like I said, used to it. But yeah, uh, good writing, good art, good coloring. Uh, has a really interesting plot. I'm sorry, what are we talking about? <laughs> Jesus Christ, woman. <laughs> we only find them when they're dead. You're worse than me. Oh, yes, I enjoyed that. Now, that is a good comic book. I can unreservedly say I enjoyed this comic book. Although I did, I guess I need to pay more attention to the names of people because I was thinking, oh, wait a minute, Jason is a guy. <laughs> Yeah. It's revealing things about the characters. Art is pretty. And yeah, the colors are great. It's a little slow moving along, but at least we got some more insight into the characters. The story is pretty good. How they find the dead gods out in space and sort of mine them or take them for resources. Well, I guess we can go try to find the live one to see what that works out. Yeah, to get ahead of the game and uh, get out of their corporate enslavement, so to speak. They're going to run across some Star Trek stuff and be like, what is God? Maybe we spaceship. <laughs> the Q continuum. Sandra, I'm in complete agreement with you, and I don't necessarily think it's slow moving. I think he's pacing himself on each issue. The first issue was the setup. This issue was develop the main characters. I, yeah. I mean, like you yeah. said, they they really focused on the characters. And if I recall correctly, when we reviewed the first issue on the podcast, there was very little character development, and mostly it was about story setup. This is right the opposite. We've got the story. We know where we're moving to, and now we focused on the individual characters that are going to play a major part in it. And it shared some of their motivations as well. So I'm in complete agreement with you on all that. Ewing has a very good thing going here, and you should probably go ahead, jump on, and come along for the ride on this one. I gave it straight fours. I gave the writing a three, the art a four, and the dynamic a five. My score was four also. Yeah, I'm going to go with all fours. 
Image Comics, Inkblot number two by Emma Kubert and Rusty Glad. We've talked about this before. I don't even know if we need to score it necessarily. I, I averaged the score to threes. I think this is the perfect comic for tweens. Yeah, and I mean, you- it's got a pretty fun concept. I mean, a, a dragon shows up when a village fights it and somehow or another the cat beats it. Well, yeah, the cat kills me. I love the cat. In a few years, Emma Kubert's style is going to be indistinguishable from her dad if she keeps at this. You can always you can already look at it and see elements of that Kubert-esque style going on yeah. there. I thought the comic was cute, fluffy, well thought out, highly recommended for tweens, perfect for trying to get a kid into comics. Great little story, great little setup. It's not much for the heavier readers, but yeah, you should check it out, especially if you've got a son or daughter. And now, Marvel Comics. Snapshot, Spider-Man by Howard Chaikin. Writing and art by Howard Chaikin. Of course, most of the stuff Howard Chaikin does, he does both the writing and art on it. Be forewarned, I think Spider-Man appears in four panels throughout the entire comic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There wasn't much of a Spider-Man to this book. Yeah, we're not kidding. He, he, I think I counted four panels, maybe five. It's kind of a bad guy background story, and I guess that's okay. But I was let down because ever since we got into that discussion about why in the hell is Howard Chaikin doing a Spider-Man book, or mm-hmm. I, I got really curious about what does a Howard Chaikin Spider-Man book in this day and age look like? And we didn't get the answer to that. Instead, we got a bunch of background noise street-level bad guys focusing on one in particular, and my interest wasn't held to it. No, mine neither. Uh, so I'm wondering if this was even part of this, if this just wasn't something they had him do a while back and they just threw it on this. Well, okay, on the inside cover, when you open it up and look at it, it lists Kurt Busiak as the curator, which is directly saying Kurt Busiak solicited these stories yeah, for these okay, books. okay. So I, I got to think that he went to Chaikin and said, come up with something with Spider-Man. And Chaikin probably thought to himself, screw Spider-Man. I'll put him in five panels and we'll talk about this bad guy in the background here. It just didn't hold my interest. Chaikin has some great stuff out there. Chaikin has some bad stuff out there. This is just kind of mediocre Chaikin. I gave it twos across the board. Unless you just need it to fill the spot in the snapshot series. Couldn't even recommend it to Spider-Man fans necessarily. Yeah, I gave the writing a two and the art and dynamic a one because for a modern Howard Chaikin book, there's just not enough flopping around on the page. I was going to say, where where are the strippers in fishnets and high heels? Where's all the he puts in everything? So do any of these people have something to do with Spider-Man? Well, they do in as much that... Are are they in continuity, like supporting characters slash goons in Spider-Man? They're the standard street-level Marvel villains that could show up to fight Spider-Man, could be in the background for Spider-Man, could show up as a problem for Daredevil for a page or two, could show up as a problem for Moon Knight or Luke Cage. They're that ever-revolving pantheon of street-level Marvel New York But, but they're not like Bob from Hydra, right? No, they you don't have I'm the depth to them that Bob from Hydra has. I'm saying they're not an established goon. But they're not Bob from Hydra. I think one of them we've never heard of before, but the one he focuses on, uh, yeah, his name's familiar. He's turned up in other things? God, yeah, it seems like. I could be wrong on that, but yeah, that name is uh, used for one of the bad guys and and other stuff. I didn't think it was worth the money. Did you, Albert? No, not really. Like I said, there's no pay. 
<laughs> or strippers. Okay, so what you getting? <laughs> obviously, I'm not. Man, I hate to say this. <laughs> we just are not on the same vibe today. I can tell. I am like pleasantly surprised that Howard Chaykin is still drawing. Oh, he does stuff fairly commonly. No, I, I get, what am I trying to say? Like a lot of times you'll have the older. Oh, well, here we go. Like Neil Adams and Mark Wade's antithesis. I don't know. Adams is kind of loose or sloppy here or whatever. But that's not the case with Howard Chaykin. This is classic Howard Chaykin. The figure work is classic Howard Chaykin. The layouts are, I don't want to say what you would expect from Howard Chaykin, but I don't see age touching Howard Chaykin's work in here is I guess what I'm saying. He's not sloppy. He's not loose. It's the Howard Chaykin that you probably would have seen 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't like the the digital coloring on his stuff. Uh Uh-huh. When he does independent stuff now, some of that stuff's black and white. Yeah. That stuff looks real good, but the coloring here I didn't care for. Okay, that may be the difference that I'm thinking of as well. I'm I'm thinking he probably looks better in black and white than he does color. Uh, I like his color, but it it is different. And he uses his graphics. I mean, there's stuff here that I'm pretty sure is not actually hand-drawn or lettered, but... My God. I, Mostly like I was let down that there's no Spider-Man in this. Yeah. The issue that we had when we heard about this or we talked about it last week was like, why in the world would you get Howard Chaykin to do a Spider-Man book? Yes. Can you imagine if Snapshot Submariner by Howard Chaykin had been pushed Snapshot Submariner, one shot, Submariner. This book is all about Submariner. And you go in and get it and it's mostly Stingray. <laughs> or it's Hobo Neighbor. Homo, homo neighbor. Homo. <laughs> it's hobo neighbor, but it's not actually about hobo neighbor. It's about the bum next to hobo neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hobo mean, yeah, neighbor? I, hobo, neighbor. hobo. He was hobo. hobo. Namor was a hobo when Human Torch found him in Fantastic Four. Yeah, no, I read it. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm just mangling hobo. I'm, I'm clearing that up for the audience. Yes. Ho- hobo. Hobo. She's hobo saying hobo anymore. And then he, bought a movie, then he bought a movie studio. Yeah. That page with the telephone and the calendars and stuff, that is awesome. I mean, that's the kind of Howard Chaykin graphics no, was, awesome yeah. stuff that I, I imagine. I'm going to give the writing, I guess, a two, the art. A 4.5 and the dynamic a four. The only thing I will say is that's because I've always enjoyed Howard Chaykin. I think his American flag is awesome. I know that's ancient history for a lot of people. That is with the caveat that this is not a Spider-Man book. Moving right along to a Spider-Man book. Amazing Spider-Man number 49, writer Nick Spencer Art by various, including Bagley and a couple of other Spidey artists that we like seeing in action. I really liked it. It was a really good book, and it managed to have Spider-Man team up with Norman Osborn, has the Green Goblin, and not take away from any character. Neither one of them was out of character at any given moment. Osborn is still a horrible human being the entire time throughout it, but it was fun watching them interact together and deal with the situation they were and the juggernaut level 
threat that was coming down on their heads. Spencer's done a wonderful job with Spider-Man since he took it over. He's been consistent. He's been enjoyable. And the art in this issue, like I said, they vary it up, but the art in this issue is consistently high end. It's good Spider-Man. Do you like the Spider-Man run better than you like slots? It's hard because a whole nother beast though. Yeah, it's hard because of Superior Spider-Man. Yeah, and that I mean slot was on it and wrote so much. He really had a niche for it. I wish he'd find that niche again with another title. I'm enjoying Spencer. Spencer Spencer writes a true Spider-Man, a good Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and he manages to incorporate elements like Spider-Gwen, which I kind of feel is more forced on him than anything else because Spider-Gwen should not be in the same reality as Spider-Man. That has standard Spider-Man at any time, in my opinion. But he handles it really well. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Fours across the board. Yeah, I gave the R the five. Ramos does a great job. Yeah. I give the writing a dynamic of four. Surely the next issue, they've got to tell us who Kindred is. Yeah, no, they didn't tell us on the last page of this this one. They've got to tell us next issue. Yeah, they're moving toward that. Next issue is the big anniversary issue thing. So Spider-Man has consistently been a really good, entertaining Spider-Man book ever since Nick Spencer took it over. On to the mutant books from Marvel Comics. All of these are Ten of Sword or X of Swords crossover books. And we're going to talk about Wolverine number six and X Force number 13 together. These are it's these the are the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same story and it's a pretty solid story, but it's uh, chapters three and four of the Ten of Swords 21 part crossover event. Writer Benjamin Percy and artist Victor Bogdanovich own both of them. They wanted this to be an epic match for Wolverine and have billed this as the premiere of Wolverine's Joker to his Batman kind of thing. Solemn, the character that they introduce in this. Uh, There's such a thing as trying too hard and ultimately... It's up to the comic book readers in the future to decide how strongly a character takes well, hold or does not take hold. Well, I think, you know, just having two issues to introduce him and it be part of a larger crossover. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do with that. There is, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that there's several characters that Marvel and DC both manufacture that they decide are the it character, and they don't turn out to be the it character because the audience decides that ultimately. Now, to tell you honestly, I like Solemn so far. I really do. I think he's a really, yeah, he really, I started to say he's a cool character. He's got great dialogue to him. He does seem like a good and fair and honorable counterpoint to Wolverine. Normally, the bad guys we put opposite Wolverine are like Ogun, the insane Ogun or Sabretooth. In one type or another, they're slobbering maniacs. Solemn is not, is the farthest thing from a bestial sociopath. Well, he may be a sociopath, but he's the farthest thing from Wolverine's normal opponents or adversaries that we've seen in a while. Like you said, he's a cool character. But there's also the difference between the way a character holds up in his first story and his thousandth story. So we just have to see how far this goes. But I really do like this character. It's a quest for Wolverine to get the sword that he had forged all those years ago. To, yeah, the Maramasa sword to get rid of his adversaries. Solemn's on the same quest and it works out in a very interesting manner. It's a tense story. It touches all the right points. 
as with everything, it's the landing that matters. But so far, I'm I'm enjoying the crossover event. I gave both of these books because they're both done by the same writer and the same artist, and they have both have the same premise and setup. I gave them both fours. I gave the art a four, and I gave the writing dynamic a three. So you didn't like the writing? You see, I thought the... No, I thought, I, I, it's okay. Just yeah. there isn't too much there, too. It's like, oh, I got to go get a sword. Here's a new character. I, well, then at I the end the, of it, it's like, hey, we got the sword. Let's go. I thought the effort that went into Solemn by itself escalated the writing. Yeah. I was really prepared to see Sabretooth version 5.0 when they were first pushing all of this. And that's not at all what we got. We got something that seems better right now. Sandra, what was your opinion on Solemn? Um, it's not an X-Men book. <laughs> you know, Sandra, the longer you wait to catch up. <laughs> it's well, a champion's uh, book. The good news is I did get a copy of Hawk's Pox, so I, I'm going to read yeah. that before next time. Good, good, good. Also in the Ten of Swords, X of Swords crossover event, Marauders number 13, chapter 5 in the crossover, writer Vida Ayala, art by Matteo Lali. It was a solid, great storm story. And I'm going to tell you this, for those of you that haven't read it, haven't seen it, haven't heard it, Marvel has big plans for storm in 2021. No, I don't know what they are, but it starts with this issue. This is beginning to lay the foundation for the changes that are coming Storm's way. I think they're going to try to bring Storm back to that 1990s level where she was more popular than Wonder Woman. So there's a concentrated effort there. And it starts in this story. She breaks some serious ties. She pisses off all the right or wrong people, depending on your point of view. The MacGuffin is, of course, swords, just like in Wolverine and X-Force. But the X-Teams, the creative teams on the X-Books have taken the opportunity to make all of this more about character and the history to each character, as well as who each of these individual characters are and what sets them apart from every comic, other comic book series out there. And they did a wonderful job with Storm. Just a short summation of it, the sword that Storm has to get is in Wakanda. And we go from there. I thought this was very interesting. I thought this was well-written. I'm a Storm fan. I'm glad to see that they're returning focus to her in a proper way. I gave the writing on this book a four. I gave the art on this book a five. And I gave the uh, dynamic on the book a four. You're so too nice. my, You really think so? Yeah. So my score on this was, was a 4.3. Albert? I, I don't know. I just didn't care for Storm in this issue at all. Really? Because for the just, first time in a while, she really felt like Storm to me. It just seemed you could have replaced her with anybody and just about been the same thing. No, I don't think it would because the... All right, spoilers. We say it at the beginning of the program. So he's forced my hand on it. I'm going to give you mega spoilers about Marauders number 13. Fast forward through this, turn it off, whatever you have to do if you don't want to know about this. She's not going to come back from this situation concerning T'Challa and Shuri and the Queen of Wakanda at all. This is a complete break from that Storm was married to Black Panther and they were lovers situation. This ends the connection there. When Black Panther, after she leaves and Black Panther orders that the gateway to Krakoa be, be taken down and says that while they can request visit, it will be at our leisure and not theirs. 
will not come like thieves in the night. Tributes the fact that Storm is a thief or has a history of growing up as a thief. Didn't this big break actually come about, what, seven, eight years ago with AVX? Compared to the AVX situation, that was a mild divorce. That was was, a mild divorce. Because they showed up and... They stayed friends afterward. He annulled the marriage. T'Challa annulled the marriage in AVX. Over the years, they've stayed friends. They've had a relationship. She's maintained relations. She's on good terms with them. Well, not anymore, because she basically knocks Shuri into next week. And the justification is, of course, she's got to get the sword or the world as we know it is over. It's not just for the sake of Krakoa, it's the sake of everybody, but the Wakandans cannot release this sword, and Black Panther is off probably screwing around with the Kanisho Phoenix Moon Knight God situation. So he cannot release the sword to them, and even if he could, it would cause turmoil amongst the people, amongst the Wakandan populace. The Queen relays that, that you know their family is on somewhat shaky ground anyway, and so she just can't hand over this artifact. Please wait for T'Challa to get back. Storm doesn't have that amount of time to wait on T'Challa. And so she tears through God knows how many Wakandan guards into one of their most sacred temples. She makes Dr. Doom's visit look amiable when Doom took the vibranium. There was very little violence involved in Doom walking in there and taking the vibranium. Because Doom doesn't have to resort to violence. That's exactly right. Well, because... because because Doom went straight to the source fast. Well, he had to go through, if you remember, there were several layers that he had to go through, but the final layer was confrontation with the Panther God. Right. And Doom even took out Storm in a nonviolent way during his quest for the Vibranium. Storm basically uses her thieving skills to get so far, but then at a certain point she has no choice but to take out Wakandan priests, Wakandan guards, and ultimately Shuri, and then she turns to confront T'Challa and his royal guard. Yeah, she doesn't really use her thieving skills all that much. Well, the breaking... There's also flashbacks to T'Challa walking her through how to get through the temple and all, which in hindsight is, you know, was dumb on T'Challa's part. But... (laughs) Basically, this you know, he's, she's not coming back from this. There is no one night stands for old time's sakes with Ch- uh, T'Challa anymore. Well, you're gonna have. Well, they've got to set up the war between Wakanda and, and Krakoa. Well, that's what I was thinking as I was reading this. That's not just a war be- between Wakanda and Krakoa. Where does Latveria fall on this? I'm yeah. fine with a war between Wakanda and Krakoa as long as they leave Atlantis out of it. But no, Namor, Namor's part no. of it. Well, no, Namor's he gonna, better not he, be. He better not Namor be. Can, you're, you're saying that like there's a choice, like they have a choice. Like Namor, no, I think I'll sit this one out. When has he ever done that? Nope, nope, nope. Kingdom's warring. Here I come. <laughs> right in the middle of it. He's going to be a part of it. Doom's going to be a part of it. T'Challa's going to be a part of it. And at the end, all that'll be left is Ileana. <laughs> And all of it will be because of Franklin Richards. Franklin Richards. <laughs> now, see, that is the only reason why I think Namor would get in it. There's only two reasons for Namor to get into that mess. One is, once again, Sue Storm comes begging at his door. Well, Sue, Sue just goes up to him and was like, they, they've got my kid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's same way with like- Doom. Doom, same way. <laughs> they've got your kid. Well, Sure, why not? It's just something else to hold over Richard. And that's going to be an awkward conversation when Namor 
when Namor explains to Sue that while I'm all about the concept of your being a MILF when it comes to actually dealing with your children, no. <laughs> well, no, let me tell you, the, you know, this is why I get so annoyed at the contingent that, that try to use that, oh, well, I don't like Namor because he's always chasing after Sue. No, no, that's not the case. Sue is the one that comes in all the time and abuses Namor. Oh, I'm with you on that. It's always so, Sue that wants to get all the benefits without. Clearly, the man's the victim and not the woman. Well, it is in this case. <laughs> not in this case. Let me tell you what. Yeah. Wait like, a you know, victim blame Sue on that, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with Sandra on this. It is Sue Let that kind of Civil yeah. War. Sue went Civil to it. Hey, yeah. Who uh, bought the movie theater to try to kill off all the, the movie studio to try to kill off all the male members of the Fantastic Four to get to Sue? What? He was bored that week. <laughs> That oh, was a that was a low tide week. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. That was before he married two other women and, you know, <laughs> cut a swath through the uh, female population. But anyway, Namor's always going to have a soft spot for Sue. But it's Sue that goes down there and stirs up shit all the time. Well, yeah, I mean, don't I'm not arguing with you about it, but no, I mean, it is, it's Namor's tendency. You can't have a war without, you know, if, if Wakanda's in on a war and Latveria's in on a war, well, Namor has got to, he's no, not going no, to No, no, no. I would be so happy if the words Wakanda were never, ever, ever associated with Namor and Atlantis again. But you know that, what I'd like to say? He was just totally, you know, no. I mean, he's going to get totally jobbed. Atlantis is going to get totally trashed all for Wakanda. And I'm just like, to, forget it, it. Just to screw with everybody, Krakoa and Wakanda and Latveria all go to war with each other. And Namor does swing in there. He takes the opportunity and takes over the island of Japan. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody else is busy with this other stuff. Who's yeah. going to stop him? <laughs> Yeah, I think he's okay with not, like, taking over any more land. Yeah, the only other person that could drag Namor into this is Emma. And you know what? If Emma drags Namor into this, I want to see a payoff. I want to see a Namor-Emma book, a Namor-Emma book, or a Namor-Emma decent storyline where he's not Namor-Emma. Hobo Namor-Emma, where he's not, like, the third wheel who's only there to make Scott look bad or good or whatever. I don't know. Albert, any final thoughts on this? You you just didn't like it. No, I didn't. We're All three of us are kind of out of sync with each other this week. What score did you give it? Straight twos. Straight twos? Straight twos? Gee. I'm sorry. Ah. Uh. I really enjoyed this issue. I, you know, I really enjoy Storm. I did like the disconnect from Wakanda for Storm. I think Storm needs that. Here's, I, here's what I got to say about that is X-Men and the Marvel office have both said, oh, we've got big plans for Storm. We've got big plans for Storm. None of those have ever materialized. So I'll just wait and see what happens with Storm. Right. Well, starting with the uh, Hickman giant size X-Men books and now this. Yeah, it looks like they're moving toward it. This isn't just Marvel saying it. It's Hickman saying it. Hickman plans on utilizing Storm and this break with Wakanda and T'Challa. This goes a long way toward this because even, even when T'Challa annulled the marriage uh, between him and himself and Storm in Avengers versus X-Men. They even hugged at the end of Avengers versus X-Men and went their separate ways. Since then, they've crossed over. They've you know, had liaisons and things like this. But this feels like a break 
between Storm and Wakanda. So we can go back to letting Storm chart her own path here. Well, like I said, I'll wait and see, but they've disappointed year after year. I have high hopes. Hickman, Hickman. And to round out the Marvel comics this week, we've got Thor number eight by writer Donnie Cates and artist Aaron Cooter. It is absolutely amazing to me how every other writer at Marvel Comics knows how to write Iron Man, except the actual writers that Marvel (laughs) hires to write Iron Man. (laughs) I sit in awe of that. Everybody that has Iron Man show up for a guest shot in everybody else's book, they write him expertly and then we slap these hbo hacks and dan slot on iron man and just eh. well i think the problem with iron man may be is like no one knows how to do a book with them like even if kate's does a great job writing iron man for this issue but could he do a comic book i'm sure kate's could at this point i think there's very little kate's couldn't do i mean because kate's gaining a lot of ground here aside from my complaint about Marvel putting people who can't write Iron Man on Iron Man, this book is amazing. I love this issue. I love Donnie Cates Thor, and I never want him to leave Thor. This, yeah, this was a really great issue. It really was. It was epic, but very personal. It was powerful, but it was quaint. Man, I got to tell you, as much as I love Hickman's X-Men, as much as I love Ewing's Immortal Hulk, I think that Thor is edging past both with me. That's really not an easy accomplishment for a comic book to get past Hickman and Ewing with the job they're doing on their respective books. It was very nicely done. The interaction between him and Stark, the interaction between him and the mechanic that picked up a millionaire, I really liked it. I wouldn't say it's better than than Ewing or Hickman. Yes, it's one of Marvel's better books easily. And this seems like a like a break arc until he gets to Noel and all that stuff. Yeah, I know Noel is coming, but it's these kind of issues that make me think, hey, look, there may be something to the Noel event. I'm not dreading the Noel event. I really do think that Cates is going to be able to pull this pull the Noel event off in a exceptional way. So I'm actually looking forward to that. But really, just these interactions, the interaction between him and Beta Ray Bill last issue. Yeah. It's a very personal thing. And as mu- and I did enjoy Jason Aaron's run. The majority of Jason Aaron's run on Thor, I thought was really, really good. But Kate's Thor is outstanding. It humanizes him, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And it's, it's just a really enjoyable read. I did give this one fives across the board. I got it fours across the board. Okay, close enough. But we both agree that if you're going to read Marvel Comics, then you're missing out if you're not reading Thor, Immortal Hulk, and Hickman's X-Men stuff. Yeah. So, ooh, there's another. Asgard could get involved in this and declare war on Atlantis and Krakoa and Wakanda and Latvia. I don't, I don't know. I don't, that don't <laughs> seem like it's thing. <laughs> Thor could swoop in and take Sue's affection away from Namor. Could. You know, if there was if there was video of me, you'd see me doing the eye roll, the Angela Merkel eye roll. <laughs> Please, well, earlier anyone take Sue. Well, earlier we were torturing Albert with the talking Batmobile thing. Now we're torturing you with the Namor things. <laughs> Y'all constantly torture me with the Namor thing, but that's all right. That's 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 part of my job description. <laughs> I, I am actually a Namor fan. I am nowhere near the level of Namor fan you are, but I am. Yeah, you know, I like Namor. I get excited when a well-written Namor shows up in things. I get mad when they misuse Namor. I, I like Not Namor you. because Doom likes Namor or uses <laughs> Namor. <laughs> 
Yeah, they have a very odd relationship. <laughs> it depends on what day of the week is, whether or not Doom likes him or has a use for him. <laughs> Namor and Doom are two people that respect titles. Yeah. That's what that is. They have a lot in common, and they've been through a lot. I mean, Doom has absolutely no respect for the Silver Surfer. Doom has developed respect for Doctor Strange. Do you think I'm safe in saying that the closest thing to a friend that Victor Von Doom has is Stephen Strange? No. No. Then who? Namor. Reed's daughter. Oh, no, that's a different relationship. He's more like a mentor to her. No, I don't think Strange... I mean, they have a relationship, but I don't see Doom... I don't think I've ever remembered an issue where Doom actually wants... How do I say this? At the end of all the realities... Doom put two people on that asteroid uh, aside from himself, and that was Molecule Man, who he needed to cipher energy and power and control from, and Doctor Strange, who, let's be honest, really, he didn't need there. It was kind of like icing on the cake. Okay, Stephen, you come along, too. I don't know. I haven't done, I guess I haven't read enough of there other than uh, Triumph and Torment. Really, Doom and Namor are odd relationship because I don't remember Doom ever wanting to have Stephen Strange as part of his plans for global domination, other than what what you're talking about. And I'm not even sure how Strange ended up in there. But he repeatedly goes out of his way to get Namor to come on board with all these plans. Yeah, Doctor Strange ended up ended up there with Molecule Man because Doctor Strange was the one that figured, that went to the other side of the universe and found out what Doom was doing. Okay, see that so he why. just hung out with Doom until it was time for everything to go down. Right, okay. but seriously, Doom is sitting around at home and he has a special TV that looks out for times that Namor's in the lurch. Like, maybe his amnesia, maybe his people are, like, uh, under some kind of toxic coma or whatever. And he thinks, now, now is the time I'm going to go over there and I'm going to get him to like me because I'm going to do something or the other. Well, it's Doom the does weirdest that thing. No, Not just with Namor. He, do that for? he did it for the X-Men with Kitty Pride. He did it in the recent issues of X-Men Fantastic Four. Now, ultimately, he gets something out of it, but he gets something out of these situations with helping Namor as well. No, I mean, if you look at it, it's like Doom says, well, here's my plan for world domination and blah, 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 blah. And then Namor goes like, well, yeah, that sounds great, except why do you need me? I mean, it literally is. Why does he need Namor? He doesn't need Namor for any of those things. But he always is going going over there. So I don't know. Now, Doctor Strange, I, he, he goes to Doctor Strange because doc, now, again, I haven't read the Savage Avengers. So that may sh- shed more light on their relationship. Him and Doctor Strange have more of a what can you teach me about magic kind of thing. Yeah, like I said, it's titles. Like he respects yeah. Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange is a sorcerer supreme. And Doom knows Strange well enough to acknowledge that, yes, Doctor Strange is the sorcerer supreme. But that coordination in Savage Avengers between Doctor Doom and Strange to defeat Cullen Gath, that's teamwork that, hell, the Fantastic Four is very rarely capable of pulling yeah. off. It's more than just that. It's a mutual understanding of one another. you got them doing their thing, and Colin Gath is a is a be-all, end-all villain. Doom and Strange successfully taking him down while Conan's running around doing whatever it is Conan does. <laughs> That was those were really good issues. I just kind of think that there's something between Stephen and Doom that goes beyond. It may be a similar thing that he has with Namor, actually. 
But anyway, I mean, when it all comes down to it, we know that Doom's going to reign supreme. If he's written properly, yes. He'll have a nice little indoor aquarium for Namor to live in. <laughs> Didn't he have one in the Ultimates? <laughs> yes, he did. Actually. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, why do you have Namor in a fish tank in your throne room? <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah, I don't ask you questions. You don't ask me questions. <laughs> Well, okay, we're going to bring it to a close this week. We appreciate your patronage. Please, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I keep forgetting to ask y'all to subscribe. I keep telling you to run out onto the street and attack people and force them to listen to us, and God knows we appreciate that. Please keep that up. But uh, do subscribe to us as well. If you can, give us a five-star rating. We'd love that. Please do let us hear from you. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com, Kingdom Comics at gmail.com. Also, Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. So follow us on those as well. You got any questions, comments, we'd love to hear from you. We didn't get to the emails this week. We'll get to the emails next week. Upcoming situations, we've got the Avengers Assembled podcast coming for you. That's going to be coming up this holiday, this Thanksgiving holiday. We're going to release that. We also ask you to remember that coming up on Monday nights, Monday after 10 p.m. Central will sometime after 10 p.m. Central on Mondays. We'll continue to post the pull list episodes of the podcast, which specifically go over upcoming books for that week. The first one was a screaming success, so we're going to continue forward with it. I'll fine tune it a little more. Let us know how you feel about it. If you want me to put the regular music on it or go with something different at the beginning and end, uh, so we'll continue to fine tune pull lists. So tune into that. Regular podcasts get posted on. On Thursday or Friday, the Pool List podcast going over that week's comics that are about to come out get posted after 10 p.m. Central Time on Mondays. So we look forward to hearing from y'all on that as well. We got other stuff in the works too, so just be patient with us and please do let us know. We love hearing from you. We enjoy hearing from you and we do respond to the emails over email, even if it's just to say, hey, we're going to answer your question in the podcast. Sandra, you got anything? I guess see you next time. <laughs> Albert, you got anything? No, I'm good. All right. I'm Stan Daniel with Sandra Swindle and Albert Marsh. Guys, tell them good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. We'll talk to you next week. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. Line Britannia, specifically Redcorn, Cheshire, England. Across the Pacific, 
and the teletype comes an unwelcome notice from Diamond Comics UK Warehouse, affecting several retailers already beset by mishap on all ends in this COVID-plagued world. The teletype reads as follows. Cheerio, I'm afraid I have to report that the Diamond UK Warehouse facility has been broken into over the weekend. We've been working with the police and the forensic teams throughout the day, but have been unable to access the building for most of the day. We are now in a position to start cleaning up the mess and devastation that the thieves left behind and are aiming to reopen the UK Warehouse Tuesday morning. You heard right, Mr. and Miss America. Hooligans and Euro trash thugs have ransacked and looted the Diamond UK warehouse, leaving chaos and thievery in their wake. The warehouse belonging to the world's foremost comic book distributorship services not only the UK, but all of our European allies as well. This leads to even more sorrowful news, as Diamond cannot guarantee complete orders hitting the shops this week. UK retailers are being asked to support the effort by withholding product until October 8th to ensure an equal, fair, and amicable playing field for all involved. Capitalism is nothing if not a purveyor of fair play. This newscaster is certain that we all join together with our British and European brethren and Diamond Comics in the hope that the perpetrators of this disturbingly dastardly event are brought to a swift end by the Executioner's Act with all due hate. None of this affects the American distribution of comics, which makes you wonder why we're recording it at all. <laughs> is the reason you want drugs legal is because you're on all of them? <laughs> I've been in the house alone for two days. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>